The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are simply that, opinions. All are presumed innocent until proven otherwise in a court of law. Sensitive topics are discussed. Discretion is advised. On this week's Court TV podcast, after years of delays, a jury has finally been seated in the murder trial of Curtis Reeves, the former police captain charged with murdering Chad Olson after an argument in a movie theater. Court TV's Ted Rollins joins me to discuss the opening statements and the dramatic testimony of Chad's widow. This is the Court TV podcast with Vinnie Politan. I'm Vinnie Politan. Thank you so much for joining us here on the Court TV podcast. Big trial starting on Court TV. This is one eight years in the making. Eight years. I began covering this story before the reboot of Court TV was even a thing, like way before. So this is a case involving a man named Curtis Reeves, who's accused of shooting and killing Chad Olson in a movie theater. Chad Olson was doing something with his phone. Curtis Reeves was upset. There was an argument. And then at the end of the day, Curtis Reeves, a former police captain in Tampa, pulls his weapon, shoots and kills Chad Olson. So the trial's all about what happened, uh, why it happened, and the defense is self-defense. Okay? It's, it's not a case where somebody else did it. No. Curtis Reeves shot and killed Chad Olson, but he's saying it was a justifiable homicide. And what that really means, ladies and gentlemen, is based upon the actions of Chad Olson, he deserved to die. That's basically what you're saying when you are alleging self-defense. Those actions were enough to cause you uh, to be justifiably killed. Helping me out today, Court TV anchor Ted Rollins, who's on the air every morning, uh, starts the day off for Court TV. Uh, Ted, when was the first time you heard uh, about this story, and where were you in life? Do you even remember? Um, I was working at CNN and um, covering trials, so it piqued my interest. And little did we know, it would be eight years later before this thing got to a courtroom. But this was big news because you know, the idea of somebody shooting someone over, using a cell phone, and then also after being uh, the recipient of a, a bag of popcorn being thrown at them, obviously grabbed people's attention. But then again, you know, keep in mind, this was stand your ground. This is a lot. This was one of those cases that really had people talking at the time. And now here we are. Yeah. For me, it was two jobs ago, unbelievably. And I haven't had that many jobs, right? I've only, I've had a handful, but this was literally two jobs ago when this thing happened. I started following it then moved on to the next place where I was working, kept an eye on it. saw nothing was really happening. Then we got involved in the, in the relaunch of court TV. And then when it was time to take a look around the country, I said, what about that that case down in Florida? And and we started looking it up. Wait a minute, they still haven't done anything with that? And that was three years ago. And now finally, uh, here we go. So it is happening. Um, and the defendant was 71 at the time. He's now 79. That's a huge victory for him. But let's focus right now in this segment, Ted, on the prosecution. Let's take a listen uh, to a little piece of the opening statement. So the evidence will show you this. Chad Olson is standing up. And as he's standing up facing the defendant, and you will see this on video, Chad Olson reaches over with his right hand. 
and he reaches over into the defendant's lap and he grabs something. Now, this might sound silly. What does he grab? Does he grab a deadly weapon out of the defendant's lap? The evidence will show you absolutely not. Does he even grab a big tub of heavy popcorn? No, here's what you're gonna learn during this trial. Chad Olson reached over with his right hand into the lap area of the defendant and grabbed a bag of popcorn. And he grabbed that bag of popcorn and he brought it back and he flicked it at the defendant. Now, the evidence will show you, of course, in a perfect world, should Chad Olson have grabbed a bag of popcorn and tossed it on the defendant? Well, of course not. The evidence will show you you can't shoot and kill another person over that. I like the way the prosecutor did that because this is... This is not a great fact for the prosecution because this is the initiation of the physical confrontation. And this would be a simple assault by Chad Olson. If it stopped right there, he could have been charged with simple assault for leaning over and grabbing the popcorn and flipping it at him. Not allowed to do that. Uh, but I like the way that he couched it, Ted, that all of this uh, for the prosecution, um, as as for us in, in the media who are covering it, it, it it's about popcorn he, he you know he flips some popcorn at him and gets shot for it and um and, and he admits is, was it the right thing to do no um but at the end of the day it wasn't even a tub of popcorn it was a little bag of popcorn the state i think has a great case here i mean as this trial progresses it's i'm, I'm having a tough time getting my head around justifying the discharging of a weapon in this movie theater by an ex-cop who's trained and we live and we live in a world now of de-escalation right so that's a that's another uh, a big big part of i think the world we live in now versus eight years ago um but he gets back popcorn is silly and and the, and the prosecutor acknowledged that this might sound silly and i i think this is a case where when I dig in, right, and that's what the defense wants you to do, to dig deep into there, into the into the uh, forest, right, and to not really, to, to kind of get lost in, in the fog of everything, right, the fog, the darkness of the theater, and it's aggressive, and he's, he's reaching over, he's reaching over into his aisle and grabbing the popcorn. When, again, when you step back, you say, it was popcorn. It was popcorn. It wasn't a knife. It wasn't a punch. It wasn't a slap. It wasn't um, anything of the sort. It wasn't a stick. It wasn't uh, a, a keychain. It wasn't, it wasn't brass. No, and it, was, it was popcorn. And that, for the defense, they... they the only chance they have is to get around that. But for prosecutors, this is the way you've got to use that as your theme and continue uh, to follow that throughout. Don't let uh, the jury lose sight of the popcorn. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And, and they they have you know a couple witnesses that are really helping them with their um, with their recounting of it eight years later in the movie theater, and it's. Nobody remembers everything, but there's a guy named Charles Cumming Jr. who he claims that afterwards the defendant, Curtis Reeves, says, throw popcorn at me. And if the jury believes him, it's over. This is over. It's over. It's over. It's over. Now, 
Charles Cumming Jr. is a little foggy and, you know, he's an old Vietnam War vet and a little salty. Um, great character. This is uh, one of the best trials we've had in a long time. I and mean, we're watching it because we have a shared experience, right? You're, you're envisioning yourself in that movie theater, sitting next to all these characters that are being developed. Um, but to your point, he had popcorn threw at him and he sh- pulled out his gun and shot someone. Out of, uh, out of a, a fit of anger. And, and that's the way uh, prosecutors have to have to lay this all out. Now, you've got all these witnesses that are in the theater. And my guess is most of them probably upset that someone shot someone else in the movie theater. Um, you, you don't want that. You want a, a movie theater to be a safe place that you can go to just to watch a, a, a film. You don't you don't want all this all this drama and this danger in there. So um, I could see that, you know, with witnesses. And we've learned this through the years that eyewitness testimony is, while it's direct evidence, right? And people are always saying circumstantial versus direct. Eyewitness evidence is direct evidence. People who actually uh, witness the alleged crime, this is direct evidence. But but their their evidence sometimes is is some of the most inconsistent and unreliable because it's it's the human factor. What do I remember from eight years ago inside a dark theater? It's a very shocking and and. Um, troubling moment. So I, I might see things a little differently now than I did then. I may see them differently than the person who was sitting in a different aisle. So uh, I think that'll be a challenge uh, for the uh, prosecution to have the jury understand that not everybody is going to remember and see the same thing. And it's not because they're lying. It's just because they're human. Absolutely. And it's and you add the movie theater into it. You add the previews are going on. It's dimly lit. Um, how much can you really remember? It's after that gun was shot that everybody's attention was drawn to Curtis Reeves. And, and there, there was arguing beforehand, which people around them did pick up on. And the fact that Reeves left the theater in after his initial interaction with Chad Olson to go talk to the manager. Um, I mean, Jane Roy who was sitting next to Reeves to his right, said he looked like grumpy from Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. And that, again, it acts that character is that your angry guy marching off blah, blah, blah. now he mr angry gets what do you think grumpy would do if 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 you know sleepy threw popcorn at him well he's gonna get mad right i mean because he's already that's his disposition he's gonna get mad and it just goes perfectly to the prosecution's theme that this was a fit of anger and retaliation for what you did to me you threw popcorn at me now we, we talk about witnesses but there's also a video it's one of the grainiest videos we've had in a while. Uh, most of the videos that we have in court usually end up with with some sense of you don't exactly see everything. And that's a big part of this one. But what you do see in this video is how quickly Curtis Reeves pulls out that gun after the popcorn goes flying. Take a listen. Now, this is important to watch in the video because it goes back to arthritis, my back, my knees, what you're going to see on the video is the defendant, in an incredibly quick and swift maneuver, reaches his right leg out as he's leaning back, goes into his pocket to get his firearm that he's brought into the theater, pulls it out, and lunges forward to shoot Chad Olson. The evidence will show you he's not back cowering in fear, but watch the manner in which he grabs his firearm, how quickly he is able to do it, how fluid he's able to do it, and how he lunges forward as he shoots. 
And why is that important? Well, to go back to the instruction of ill will, hatred, spider, evil intent. The evidence will show you he was mad. Chad didn't listen to him, and Chad threw popcorn on him. That little piece of the video, and I've watched this video many times, but I never really picked up on the significance. And this was a masterful job by the prosecutor. And, and to me, it has an incredible ring of truth, which is the lunging forward. It's the body language at the moment that he's firing the weapon. He's not back cowering. He's not, you know, um, moving away from Chad Olson. He is lunging towards him. And, and I, you know, you read between the lines and he's reading it for us. You do that because you are angry. I'm going to get you, not I'm going to protect myself. Those are two different postures. Uh, it, it, now, the, the defense may be able to explain it somehow, some way. But for me, I now look at that video much differently based upon that interpretation, which is um, really well done in an opening statement because you're just supposed to lay out the evidence, not necessarily make the arguments, but he kind of snuck in that argument right there. And now when I look at that video, I'm looking at it through his filter of that lunging forward, that it's an aggressive uh, offensive move, not a defensive move. Defensive move is self-defense. Offensive move is murder. Oh. It, yeah, that was Scott uh, Rosenwasser. It was brilliant because you're right now, and the jury has seen the videos since multiple times, and they will see it continually. Every time you see it, you are watching how quick, and you're noticing, oh, yeah, that was quick. That was, I mean, an instant. Now, I would argue that the defense at the end of the day is going to argue the opposite and say, yes, it was so quick because he was so scared, and it was instinctive, this former cop. That's what happened. You know, he was, he, he feared for his life, and that aggression was to stop a threat and that you can trace back to his training and what was in that, you know, he, he had a whole career of being a law enforcement agent. Um, that's the only way out of it, because right now, yeah, you're right. It's, it, it's pretty convincing that that was a reaction. And, and if he's leaning forward, if he's leaning forward, then Chad Olson isn't leaning towards him. He's got to reach out to shoot him. Do you know what I mean? It's like the body language because we don't see Chad Olson. We don't see him. Right. So um, we know that the defendant can see him. So in order to shoot him, he's leaning forward, which tells me that Chad Olson is not leaning towards him. Because if, if Olson is leaning towards him, you wouldn't put your weapon out towards him because then he could perhaps take the weapon or, you, you know what I mean? It, it's, right. it's just a common sense uh, a statement here that I think is very effective. I agree. And because if Curtis Reeves was, and you, if you factor in all of this, what you do see in the video was fearful of his life. Well, then Chad Olson had to have been a, um, an armed monster, right? Because, yeah, okay, now the monster, if someone who had an, a, a weapon and you knew they had a weapon, you would still shoot them if, they moved away from you, right? Because you you know you're going to die unless you kill them. That's simply not the case here. This is just a guy at a movie theater. And I, again, I'm having a real hard time getting my head into Curtis Reeves' position and in, in, in taking his side. And you know me, Vinny. I am Mr. They're not guilty. I, I like to take sides with the defendant in a lot of these cases. This one's got me. Yeah. Uh, I, from the beginning, you know, I don't, I never under, quite understood all of this. And the, the loss of life is horrendous. It's a young dad. I, every time I cover this story, I'm just thinking of the, the little baby who's grown up without a dad and, and for what, for nothing is so unnecessary, 
right? It's so unnecessary. Now, um, the other person who has to live without Chad Olson is Nicole, his uh, wife, widow now, or widow for eight years. Um, she took the witness stand, I thought showed incredible strength, uh, but I think it came out of focus, and I think it came out of, of a level of frustration uh, that this has taken eight years to get to trial. So she got on the stand, and she wasn't very emotional. Um, there were a couple moments where you could see it, but I see her as someone who's very focused and, and, and really was trying her best to be strong and putting on the face that a mom has to put on to raise a child without dad. And that's who I saw in the courtroom. Let's take a listen to a little bit of her testimony. Uh, she was called day one by the prosecution. And what are you doing at that point? Your hands burning? Figuring out what happened. I, I mean, I knew a shot had rang out, but I didn't know where he was shot or what, really what our injuries were other than my hand felt like it was gone off of my arm and I'm watching him collapse, so I know it's bad. It's just shock, I think, panic. And what I didn't realize before all this, Ted, was that she also got shot. She had her arm on Chad as he was standing up, her, her left arm uh, and her hand, and her hand gets shot. And that's a reminder every day when she looks down at her hand, a reminder of what happened that day. Yeah, it's a significant injury. If her husband had not been shot, Curtis Reeves would have been charged just by shooting her in the hand. Uh, it, it, she was shot in the hand in a movie theater. It's, it's, I loved her testimony because you're right, her focus, she had every emotion. And again, it's eight years later, right? So she's frustrated with the system, frustrated with Curtis Reeves, um, raising a daughter on her own. And there was a level of, professionalism and with with deep-seated sadness and anger all mixed in um she was as good as you get and get a person a lay person in, in that position and one thing that she testified to really struck me where she talked about how at the moment chad was shot and and she was looking at him and he was looking at her she made sure that she did not appear panicked and that was to give him comfort and, and also to give him strength so, so he wouldn't worry about her. And I think that's the face that she has carried now for eight years, uh, amazingly. I had an opportunity to speak to her before this trial uh, about a year ago, and um, that was the same feeling I got then. She was extremely frustrated at her wit's end, um, that there was no sense of justice, no day in court. And people always talk about, you know, speedy trials. It's always about the defendant, the defendant, the defendant. But how about the speedy trial for the victim's family? You know, that's, an, that's another part of the equation in, in all this that sometimes we miss. All right, Ted is going to stay with us. When we come back, um, we always cover the whole case, right? Both sides, all angles, every angle. We'll play for you what the defense said in their opening statement. And I thought it was a powerful opening statement. Um these are great attorneys on both sides. This is a real battle inside the courtroom, and this is a defense that will, will not give an inch on anything. So when we come back, we'll hear what they had to say um, as we continue our coverage here of the movie Popcorn Murder Trial. 
you leave, I am going to kill you. The killer you know. They were the perfect family, but never suspected. I'll find you one way or the other. Someone they knew with Tamron Hall. Premiering Sunday, March 6th, only on Court TV. Curtis Reeves has a gun in the movie theater. Well, guess what? Curtis Reeves has the right to carry that gun. In fact, under the Law Enforcement, Leosa, Law Enforcement Officer Safety Act, enacted by the United States Congress, not only does he have a right to carry a gun, he's encouraged to carry a gun. Why? He's encouraged to carry a gun because if you're a police officer, you might not remember some bad guy that you put in prison, but guess what? That bad guy remembers you. That is the defense in their opening statement, um, touching upon a, a big issue in this for a lot of people. Why are you bringing a gun into a movie theater? And they needed an explanation for it, and they got one. I think it's a legitimate explanation. Uh, I, I think it's um, they're not making it up. I, I think it's real. Um, there were signs in the theater that said no uh, weapons allowed. Don't know if that necessarily applies to former law enforcement as per the uh, the law, the statute that was being referenced by the defense. Uh, but it's an explanation, at least. So it doesn't look like, okay, this is some, some guy who is, you know, a cowboy out there who's just got to be with his gun all the time. No, there's a, there's a specific reason for it. Um, welcome back, folks. I'm Vinny Politan. Ted Rowland's still with us, uh, Court TV anchor. He does the mornings. I'm there at night. We don't see each other during the day, but we do find time to podcast. Um, Ted, let me ask you, are you satisfied with that explanation or does that leave you like, oh no, that's kind of like a, that's a, that's a cheap explanation for having a, a gun in the movie theater. No, I, I love that explanation. In fact, I, I think that that is um, a perfect explanation that what I don't like is the aggressive delivery of that information in the openings. Well, guess what? He gets to carry a gun because it's the law. And, okay, I get the law. I know the law. I just don't like uh, – I may be a juror that doesn't like 71-year-old men with a gun in their pocket, and they whip it out in two seconds. But if he would have delivered it, like, this was a horrible thing, and, you know, Curtis Reeves is former – the reason he had a gun was because he's former law enforcement. They are encouraged to carry guns at all times. But, that's a different way to give that same information. I love, I love the, the, the information. I think it works. I hate the condescending uh, way it was delivered. I think you're spot on. I think you're spot on. It's, it's not only what you say, but how you say it in front of the jury. And, uh, you know, some jurors might be right on, might be on board with that, but that you may alienate some, whereas you do it the other way, you're not going to alienate anyone, you know? Um, it's more of like, aha, uh -huh, well, guess what? Yeah, I get it. I get it. Um, here's the thing, though. He's talking about the bad guys, and his client is the one who's being accused of being the bad guy right now. And that's an interesting choice of words as well, and, and the reasoning. I, I don't think you needed to get that deep into it. Uh, but at the end of the day, uh, Curtis Reeves knew that he had that gun with him the whole time. Um the other part of this is, I mean, if you want to pull out the gun, can you, and we talk about this all the time in self-defense cases, can you pull it out and not use it? And is that, you know, is that a reasonable way to respond to a situation where you think you're in danger instead of pulling it out and shooting in one motion, as opposed to pulling out and saying, all right, 
back up, buddy, right? Um, is that the more appropriate way to do it? Is that a legitimate way to do it? I, I don't know. I don't know. I guess that's up to the circumstance in the jury. Uh, I do. I know. All the self- I, it's absolutely but, but wait, wait, Ted, but, Come on. It's, and that's common sense. If Curtis Reeves with his law enforcement training gets his gun out and says, I can't afford to get an ass whooping is what he claimed uh, to cops after to the police afterwards. He, he, he takes his gun out and he doesn't shoot. Guess what? It's over. It's over. He now says, back off, buddy. Don't beat me up. I have a gun. And all right, three haymakers later, then, then it's self-defense. Shoot the guy. But that was never going to happen. Because I think about it this way, and, and I don't know how it would play out, but if, in fact, he's an officer who's on duty, right, and he's questioning someone or gets into an, an, uh, you know, an argument with, with a citizen and the citizen uh, throws popcorn at him, how would that play? Would he be justified? in that circumstance to, to shoot the, the subs, the suspect or the subject. I mean, that's another way to look at it, right? Uh, as a police officer, would he, would he have done it? Or is there an element here of him being that grumpy old man? Right. And I think that's what the jury is going to look at. Is this guy, is this, is this the, the police captain? Is this the SWAT guy or is this an old retired grumpy man? Yeah. I think it's, uh, again, I, I think that the, the um, juror that's going to analyze this is going to come to that conclusion that this was a reaction that is built not in, in fear, but in anger. And he reacted because he was upset that someone had just thrown the popcorn in his face, knocked his glasses off. And he has every right to be upset. Like you said earlier, that you can't do that. You, you can't just hit somebody in the face with their popcorn at a movie theater because you're in a verbal argument. So he was mad. The question is, he when, but he's going to try and convince us that he was scared. And I just don't see big Curtis Reeves with a gun in his pocket and 20 years plus of law enforcement experience being scared. Well, let's take a listen to the defense talking about some of that experience. He was a superstar. And when he was there, he did everything from patrol as a young man to homicide detective and everything in between. So he saw what it was like out there. He knows about danger. He knows what a fist can do to somebody as a young person or an old person. And by the way, the state's telling you, well, he's preventing great bodily harm. You're gonna get a definition of that. That means something more than a bruise. It's not a bruise. That's what the judge is gonna tell you. That's the law. After 27 years, the Tampa Police Department, Curtis Reeves is so highly thought of. When he retires from the police department, he, he gets recruited by Bush Entertainment, Bush Gardens, becomes their head of security. Now he's kind of in a, a job where he's dealing with the entertainment industry, the, the pleasure of the experience in the park industry, and he receives training for that. And you're going to see, we're going to talk about it uh, in a little bit, some of the, the various courses he took. You're going to see a list of courses, and, and we'll, we'll talk about some of them. Um, so throughout his years, he certainly learned how to assess the risk. He certainly know how, knows how to spot danger. And so when he's in that theater, it's no different. Again, it was popcorn. 
So he's got to assess the 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 popcorn and assess the assess Chad Olson. Here's what's interesting. You know, you look at it, why everyone was at the theater that day. Chad Olson and and Nicole, his wife, they they snuck out for some time together. They have a 22 month old at home. You know that is full time. You know that is uh, you know 24 seven. You know how tiring that is, how difficult it is to find time to be together alone. And they had like a few hours of adult time. Do we really think, and do you think the jury's going to think that during the few hours of adult time that he wanted to get into a fight with some grumpy old man versus a grumpy old man? And the jury's not going to know this about all the other people that he is confronting in movie theaters. But, but for him, that I mean, that's probably... That's a big part of his life is getting into confrontations with people in movie theaters. And, and I wish the jury was going to learn more about that. Uh, maybe, maybe there'll be a way for the, the prosecution to get that in. But I just see the two of them wanting something a little different out of the experience at the theater, right? Uh, I see Curtis Reeves want, I want some quiet, it's quiet, stop that. He wants a little to take control of the situation where I think Chad Olson just wanted to hang out with his wife and not have to take care of a baby for a few hours. Oh, I couldn't agree with you more. And I think that when you put yourself in that position that Chad and his wife were in, it, um, those are precious moments. You've got a few hours to just watch a movie. Last thing they wanted was this. And um, Curtis Reeves was, was there looking for it. And one of the witnesses, Charles Common Jr., says that the, the chattering between Olson and Reeves started with Reeves telling him to turn the phone off when exactly after that little banner came up in the movie that said, please turn your phone off. Reeves, I would argue, was waiting. He, he wait, oh, he's like, oh, I got one. I got one. He's right over here. I got one. Wait till the banner. Boom. Turn your cell phone off, sir. I can just imagine his wife. Oh, God, here we go again, Curtis. Just let him be nice and so this was a huge part of it and and to your point the jury's not going to hear about the other people who have come forward and say oh my gosh the guy yelled at me for my phone a couple weeks before this um but i think they are going to pick up on that that makes more sense and one of the things with the opening statement that i again these are great attorneys that are representing curtis reeves but they're making it sound like curtis knows a dangerous situation better than you people do. So are they claiming that this was a dangerous situation, even in hindsight? I mean, there's, where's the qualifying language? They like, you know, yes, in hindsight, we know that it wasn't that dangerous. It was just a guy out with his wife. No, they're going all in on this. He was trained and he knows when to use self-defense. That just flies in the face of common sense. Was Chad Olson really going to jump over the seat and pummel Curtis Reeves? Like, I, I understand you're angry. You, you flip some popcorn at some guy because you're exchanging words. Uh, should not have done that, but he did it. But was he really going to jump over there and get into a fist fight with this man Be, because of an argument? about the cell phone and some machismo thing that's going on. You reported me, et cetera. I, no, no, I, I can't believe that he was going to do that. 
And I can't believe that you would think that he was going to do that. I, I, it, anger, obviously, is a lot of it. This is like you described uh, previously, Ted, um, like road rage in the movie theater is, is the best way. So let's, let's listen to more of the defense now because they directly address um, another issue in this case. And as we said, it's been delayed eight years, so he's now 79. He was 71 at the time. Here's the defense describing um, Curtis Reeves as a 71-year-old man. Let's think about this 71-year-old man. Prosecutor saying, well, he walked, he's uh, 130 yards, a football in the third away, football field in the third, I guess not counting the end zones, football f- th- field in a third away, and um, he walks there just fine. Doesn't use a cane, doesn't use a walker. You're going to hear from several witnesses, they're going to tell you about his physical condition. You're going to hear from Matthew, his son. Matthew's going to tell you about his father a robust, vigorous man as he sees them over the years being able to do less and less, can't leather work, can't work, do woodworking, has trouble with his hands. They went on a hunting trip right before the movie and Curtis Reeves couldn't pull back the compound bow. They were looking to getting him a crossbow. So he's, he's seen his father deteriorate over the years. I have no idea what a compound bow is. It's a bow that um, is very strong is very but it is pull, it's very difficult to pull back so the crossbow is going to make it easier for him to do but again why are you bringing up hunting and um i mean because again the percentages are maybe 20 percent of the jury of uh, of 12 random people are going to be like anti-hunter and they're going to be disgusted by that it's just i don't see the upside yeah it, and you know, the deterioration, 71, yes. Uh, you, you know, you start to deteriorate a lot earlier than that. There are things you, you can't do that you used to be able to do. I think it's common sense. Um, but the other part of the age is the, the grouch factor, Ted. And that's where grumpy comes back. And that's where grumpy, and I think that may play, at least for me, looking at the situation the way I've always looked at it, is that, yeah, I, I I picture this guy as a grouchy old man. Okay, he might be the greatest grandpa in the world, but when he's out in the public with strangers, he's a. I see him as a grouchy old man. I don't see him as feeble, and I think that is more of a factor in what played here than his physical ability to um, do woodwork or use a compound versus a crossbow. Neither of which I've ever used. I've seen pictures of it, but. Um, that's, that's where I see the age factor in all this playing, Ted. I don't think the age helps the defense. I think it helps the prosecution because of some stereotypes that people like me carry in our, in our heads. Right. And you told a grumpy old man and, and eyewitness testimony, I, I forget which eyewitness says that after, immediately after the shooting, he turns and talks to his wife and tells, and is in total control and tells her, stop talking and is in that moment he is no longer cowering scared oh my gosh we just almost got killed by this monster no it's i'm in control i'm in control i'm in control and guess what it's the control grumpy old man freak who is also a self-appointed text uh, cop in movie theaters around florida that is the one that discharged his weapon it I agree with you. I think that the, the being old 
for for 71 and and even now at 79 he doesn't look he's not robert durst put it that way yeah he's not he's not feeble because he's still a big dude he's still a big dude Uh, and he's, he's obviously older but he the eight years he hasn't aged as much as i thought he might have with a murder rap hanging over his head but he has been living free he hasn't been behind bars so that obviously helps the situation so ted as this case moves forward um from where i'm sitting because there's video and there are eyewitnesses etc i feel like they could argue self-defense without the defendant testifying right they can get all of the facts in front of the jury uh i believe enough to make the argument right that it was self-defense but I still think he needs to testify. I, I think he needs to testify to fill in a few blanks and really put us into the moment in his seat, in his shoes, um, because I, these arguments based upon everything else are fine to make. I just don't think they will be can put you over the finish line. I think he would need to testify, but need to testify in a manner that the jury um, understands his position and, and feels like he was a victim that day. Yeah, yeah, I agree that you could get away with putting up a defense and look yourself in the mirror uh, with the facts that they have when you add the the long interview that he did with police afterwards, which was recorded, and say, all right, well, he kind of testified there. He did. Uh, but you need him to get up there and say, because this is, he needs a Hail Mary here. And the only way out is for him to get up there and say, this may sound crazy, but I actually was scared for my life. And I don't know if it was the, the, the atmosphere of the movie theater or my, I was with my wife. I don't know. Obviously, I was wrong. Obviously, this was not a life and death situation. And I'm sorry. But in that moment, I actually thought my life was in danger and my wife's was too, because I had been hit by something that to me felt like a, a, a Mack truck. And ladies and gentlemen, but I don't yeah, see that. You can check the, the links in the show notes for the Ted Rollins school of acting, <laughs> which has opened up, you know, Ted lived in Hollywood for a while, picked up a lot of things there. Um, Ted, you could be a great uh, witness consultant. I don't know if it's hundred percent ethical telling them how to testify or what to say, <laughs> Uh, but if you were writing scripts for them, it would be very compelling. Yeah, and if that's not what happened, then uh, I think he's dead in the water. Yeah, and and I'll tell you what uh, criminal defense attorneys do, Ted. What you just did, um, there, there's a there's a school of thought that some defense attorneys have where, listen, they don't want to hear from the defendant whether they did it or didn't do it. They just look at the discovery, they look at the evidence, and then they tell their client, this is what I think happened. And, and, and to, to basically telling your client, this is the only chance you have. So this needs to be your story, but I am still acting ethically because you didn't tell me something uh, to the contrary of what I am telling you. The evidence shows me what happened, but that's, that's, and there's nothing, nothing um, wrong with it. It's a little icky, a little icky, but it's, it's the way that criminal defense attorneys are able to um, guide the defendant and the defendants if they decide to testify, um, if they want to remain uh, ethical and say, this is what I think, you know, 
I, I wasn't there, but I'm looking at the, this is what the evidence looks like to me. And then they do exactly what Ted did. Ted Rollins, great job. As always, you can watch him every morning, folks, 9 o'clock on uh, Court TV. As we continue to watch the movie Popcorn Murder Trial, this is a this is a good one, Ted. I have no idea what this jury's going to do. Yeah, thanks, Vinny. All right, when we come back, I keep talking about this eight-year delay, but I'm going to tell you how this eight-year delay causes a problem for the defense. That's next. Follow Court TV live over the air, uninterrupted. If you're watching television with an antenna, just rescan your channels now to add Court TV. And go to CourtTV.com to see the exact channel position and more ways to watch Court TV in your area. Delay, delay, delay. Sometimes that is an absolute strategy by defense attorneys in criminal cases. The more I delay, the worse people's memories get. Witnesses go away. Things change. And you either have a better chance at trial or perhaps you get a better plea deal down the road. Because the evidence generally doesn't get stronger for the prosecution when there are delays. And the case of Curtis Reeves has been delayed eight years. It's a relatively simple case. It's not a super complicated federal RICO investigation. No, this was something that happened within a few minutes inside a, a controlled um, um, scene inside a movie theater and happened very quickly. It's not a complicated case. The law was a little complicated with Stand Your Ground because it did change down Florida. That delayed things a little bit. COVID delayed things a little bit. But really, it's been the defense strategy from the beginning to delay this trial. And now it's finally happening. And there is a bit of irony on all of this. While Curtis Reeves has been out on bond, um, and with a monitor, but out on bond, he's been free for eight years. So that is an absolute victory for the defense, right? Those are eight years in his 70s that if the trial happened quickly, he may not have had. So uh, that's a victory, an absolute victory uh, for the defense. Now we're at trial, so it's about guilty versus not guilty. And the, the victory for the defense there is a not guilty. Anything else is a loss, right? So how could this delay actually end up hurting the defense? And it is because of the world we live in now is so much different than it was eight years ago. And what I'm talking about is the perception by some people, a much larger percentage of people, of police. Now, there have always been police critics through the years, and eight years ago there were some. But after the summer of 2020, that number has grown immensely. And the trial of Derek Chauvin, the man who murdered George Floyd, and that entire case and that entire movement has changed the way people see situations between police officers and the public. And this is a case where the defense, you heard, you heard it, have talked extensively about Curtis Reeves as a member of law enforcement. So while he's not in uniform on the job when all this is happening, he's retired, there is still that perception. And when eight years ago, many more people would give former police officers and police officers a little more benefit of the doubt, many more are looking at them more critically these days. And the one word, I, I mentioned it earlier, de-escalation is a huge word 
You know, on my show every night, we take a look at police videos and we talk about this concept of de-escalation uh, almost every night. Uh, how do police handle these situations? What are they trained to do? How do you take it from being extremely tense and dangerous to safe? And how do things escalate and why do things escalate? And what is the role of police officers? And one thing that is becoming abundantly clear is that part of your training as an officer is to de-escalate situations. And I think much more of the public knows that and understands that now. So in a case where things unnecessarily escalate from an argument about phone usage during movie previews to a man being shot and killed, um, it seems that the person with the police training and experience would be a little bit better at looking at the situation and attempting to or actually de-escalating it, taking it from a, from a nine down to a four, taking it from a seven down to a two, taking it from a five down to a zero, de-escalating the danger of what is happening inside that movie theater. And it's clear, it's clear that Curtis Reeves did not do that. And I think that there's a much greater chance that one, remember it's only six jurors that are making this decision, that one or more of those six jurors maybe looking at police officers that way, that weren't looking at police officers that way eight years ago. So that's a big danger, a big danger. But the bottom line is he's gotten eight years that after this jury comes back with their verdict that he may not have gotten. He may not have gotten. So we'll see. We'll see what the jury does. Folks, you can watch the trial on court TV. You can watch my show on court TV. My show's on every night, eight o'clock, eight o'clock Eastern. You can um, check your um, local listings. Do people still do that, by the way? Check your local listings. Um, but what you can also do is if you have a digital antenna, you can scan it and rescan it. We're on digital antennas around the country. You can go to CoreTV.com to the Find Us tab, click it, click on your state, and you'll see where Core TV is available. And check the show notes for other great um, links to uh, content related to this really um, big trial that has been eight years in the making. That's it for this week, folks. I'm Vinny Politan. Thanks so much for listening and downloading. Have a great week. And as always, don't forget to hug the kids. This podcast is a production of Court TV. Go to CourtTV.com for more content, trials on demand, and to find out how to watch Court TV in your area.